0: Well, welcome to this week's Truth and Fiction. I'm here today with a good friend and longtime friend from high school, Alec Dutro.
1: Hey, how you guys doing?
0: Glad to have you here. Um, We're talking about one of our favorite books, uh, something that I've read a couple of times now, and I invited Alec because he's got some unique background and perspective uh, on the actual culture that this book is from. It's the three-body problem, the three-body problem is comes actually from china so it's been translated into english which is what i read obviously i know zero chinese and very little about their culture being the ignorant american that i am but uh but alec you've got some some keen insights there so if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about your background love to hear it
1: yeah no problem um so when i was in the military i was actually assigned chinese as a language to learn and uh when i got out of the military, I I sort of transitioned into college and decided to, you know, take a more academic approach versus just learning the language, actually learning about the culture and and studying the language in a more academic setting. Um, So um, as of now, I I have a bachelor's degree in Chinese studies. Um, I'm definitely no subject matter expert, but I do know a little bit. Uh, There's a lot lot more than your
0: average ignorant American, uh, to be sure. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, probably, probably,
0: probably, yeah. Well, great, man. I'm, I'm stoked to have you here, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Uh, there's a lot of sort of culturally unique aspects to this story, and there's a lot here that's pretty universal to the human experience. And so I'm looking forward to exploring some of that. Um, as usual, I want to start out with a bit of a plot summary. Um, and since I listened to it most recently, I'll lay it out. Uh, the, the story starts out, with a scene from the Cultural Revolution in China. It's a sort of a flash from the past, and it's meant to set up one of the, the probably the two biggest characters in the story. Um, it's it's a very dramatic scene, and her father is killed, and she ends up becoming, well, she's associated with a basically a political enemy of the state, and um, her life falls apart. Uh, as a result of this, this political movement that's going on in China. Now, uh, pretty shortly thereafter, it introduces a few more characters. You, you find out that there's it, it starts to flash back and forth, and it, um, I don't have it all straight completely, but the, the general idea is that uh, this character, Ya Wen Xia, becomes a famous scientist, and she's working on this project that is a, a large radio transmitter that's designed to look for extraterrestrial life. At some point, she finds it, or rather, uh, she manages to reach out and uh, receive. Eventually, receives a response to one of her transmissions. And while this is going on, this other scientist, um, we'll call Wang Miao, is a who's a nanomaterials expert. Is experiencing some things that are apparently supernatural, that are really a result of the interference uh, in the progressive science of our time, this is, I guess, in the present, in the present day, uh, the interference that is coming from this alien civilization. And so the the story itself is, is a bit of a mystery as it plays out. And you discover that there, uh, it, it leaves you hanging with the inevitable likelihood of a invasion of an alien civilization that looks likely to destroy humankind because of their Far superior technology, and uh, and it's a it's a mixed hopeful and unhopeful ending. So it's a tough book to to summarize in in under a minute or two. But uh, but there we go. That was my best take at it. Alec, got anything critical to add to that? Um, no,
1: I, I think you pretty much hit it on the head. Um, her assignment to what was called the uh, the Red Coast, which was like a super top secret. Um, facility that was, you know, it's sort of muddled how they describe it in the book, but its intent was to to mess with satellites, satellites that were potentially spying on the United States. Um, At but least it also that was the
0: cover story. Yeah, yeah,
1: that was the cover story. Um, but uh, come to find that it, its functions were far superior to just messing messing with uh, satellites.
0: It's an interesting premise to think that uh, in a Situation where a slight technological advantage can give one society a huge advantage over another, that it's worthwhile to spend at least some energy and money on the moonshot, uh, pun intended, of contacting an alien civilization and hoping to get some information from them. And that's sort of what their premise was.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that, and you have to wait eight years to even know if you were successful.
0: Uh, well, yeah. I mean, in, in this particular instance, yeah, that was like the quickest time you could potentially get a, a result back from the nearest possible star.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which and, is a
0: really cool mix of truth and and fiction there, because uh, the nearest possible star is you know eight years, eight years distance, eight light years away.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we have to use that nearest possible star as an amplifier to. To, to at least in this case, uh, reach out to um, you know, well, aliens. All right.
0: <laughs> I made a, I made a mistake there. Our nearest possible star is, is obviously the sun, and it's eight minutes My, away. Eight but, minutes, uh, yeah. right, right. And uh, let's see, what was the star that they were centered around? I think it was, it was something in the Andromeda. Is it Andromeda or the Andromeda Galaxy?
1: Well, it's it's our neighboring galaxy. As to which one that is, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite certain. Um,
0: oh, I forgot. I should know this. Yes, I, I took astronomy not that long ago. Alas. Oh well,
1: well we can, we can sort of, be naive, I guess, to all the physics and
0: uh, <laughs> all the astronomy. I, that's part of the beauty of this story. For those of you who like science fiction, it really does a good job of blending, blending, p- like the vague outlines of what is actually very real science now, but it's kind of in the theoretical realm, uh, with. With you know stretching it to its sort of logical limits if if those things turn out to be true and if we learn to manipulate them in a way beyond what we currently do it's uh it, it makes for a lot of fun interesting specula- speculation as any good science fiction should, especially I'll as you get into some of the later books
1: yeah and uh, one one quick note uh, what makes this particularly um, special as a science fiction novel is that the version that you and I are reading is translated by Ken Liu, um, and Liu Cixin. He is the original author, uh, author um, you know, out of China, and they've actually had to, you know, to switch some pieces around in the book to make it more palatable to, you know, like our Western style.
0: So, oh, really? Uh,
1: yeah, like Ken, Ken Liu did a, did a wonderful job translating this book. The the original title is is actually called uh it's santi which just means three body um oh, okay and so you know obviously ken leo kind of took it that one step further and called it the three body problem but um yeah if you get the uh his actual book it, it has notations about you know what changes were made um one such example is that the uh, the cultural revolution scene this sort of uh starts off the book it's that's actually done um, in uh, Leo scene's novel um, later in the book. So oh, you know, so it's, it's not like
0: the a, intro scene. It's, it's not, not the like intro
1: a... scene. yes, precisely. It's it's further on in the book because this book jumps around from past to present uh, pretty fluidly, uh, but not in any way that that gets you confused. Um, so
0: they started was a little bit confusing for me the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I maybe so. I guess I'm just listening to it too, so it's a little harder to follow, perhaps. Yeah, but anyway, no, sorry, I, sorry to interrupt.
1: No, 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 no worries. Um, so yeah, we got to give, got to give some kudos to uh, Ken Leo for, for turning it into something that we can read and understand.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that can be a challenge given how dramatically different the, uh, the cultures are. So, definitely. Uh, given that, despite those cultural differences, I was wondering what you took to be some of the main themes that, that came through that spoke to you. yeah
1: well, um, I think that, uh, starting off with the cultural revolution, um, sort of sets in my, in my eyes sort of sets the the stage, um, in terms of you know, like the main thematic elements, which, which in me, which in my opinion is, is division, uh, division yeah. amongst, uh, you know, the same culture, uh, in this case, um,
0: like the cost of division
1: the cost, the cost of division, because if, if, if you just, you know, pull up a Wikipedia page and and read about why the cultural revolution happened in the first place, it's just so incredibly illogical. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was trying to think of what it, like what similarity in the West, like in our culture, you know, would, would marry up well, um, to, you know, sort of like how devastating the cultural revolution was, uh, to the Chinese. And I would say it's, it's probably the equivalent of our civil war.
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine anything that was that consequential.
1: Yeah, no, no, exactly. Exactly. I mean, the, the rise of communism in China has, has, you know, uh, especially in its earlier years, um, with, you know, Mao Zedong's great leap forward where we can't even really count how many millions of people died due to star starvation. And, uh, you know, just, just how many deaths there were, um, due to just incompetency, um, and then moving into the Cultural Revolution, you would think that you know those fifteen million deaths would definitely sort of, or fifty between fifteen and, and fifty million, who knows, would uh, wow. kind of be serious
0: numbers. Yeah,
1: I mean nobody really knows for sure, but it's definitely in the millions. And uh, you know, then you move into the Cultural Revolution, and you'd think that nothing could be darker than the loss of that of that many people. But I I would agree that uh, in terms of you know um in terms of uh destruction on the psychic level uh, uh the Cultural revolution definitely you know takes the cake because that's that's uh, as as the book starts off that's that's family on family you know violence yeah
0: that's a, it's a very deep level of division um like to to be able to ideologically to to have an, ideolo- an ideology that is so severe in its treatment of those who don't agree with it, such that it divides, you know, family from family to the degree that they were giving each other up, not only for fear of their own persecution, but uh, sometimes even voluntarily, and and uh, like out, out of not just fear, but out of sort of loyalty to the party and and the hope that the, what their particular political leaning is going to provide for them if they actually do give up their family, like they're doing it for things that they feel are positive out of out of a moral obligation, in some sense.
1: Yeah, and that's a uh,
0: dangerous thing, man. That is a dangerous thing.
1: That is an incredibly dangerous thing. Um, and I, I would say what makes that particularly devastating um, is that it was the youth that were mobilized. So oftentimes it was, you know, young sauders, uh, young daughters and sons, you know, sort of rallying against their parents. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they were sort of, they, they were recluse to a point beyond anything. I think Mao Zedong ever, ever thought was possible. Um, they actually uh, ended up taking a lot of what was called the red guard at the time. Um, and, 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 throwing them out into the, the sort of like, uh, the more rural areas out into the farmlands because they didn't want them running around in the cities anymore, killing each other.
0: They were too intense yeah, the red guard intense. was yeah. was too impassioned about the ideology to even Way be safe in public wow exactly yeah that's wild that's like a it that is, is it's something it's hard to imagine i mean we see uh we've got the whole the protest that took place over the the floyd murder that was that's about as fired up as americans have gotten in any sort of recent history i mean there and there have been a number of political movements that mirrored that sort of protests and that, that sort of energy, I guess. Um, but it's hard to imagine, it's hard to imagine people being that impassioned about, about essentially what is essentially a political party. Yeah. You know, that, that whole, the fear of the party runs through and is a major driver of actions throughout this whole story. And that's knowing how consequential it was because that, I mean, this is a historical fiction in some sense that knowing how devastating that political persuasion and manipulation and uh, tyranny, knowing its consequence, that, that should serve as some sort of a warning. And, And I feel like that, if anything, that's one of the major, one of the major ideas that's being discussed here is, you know, beware the ideology is let loose on the population because they're fires, you know, and and when you start fires, you can't always control what they burn.
1: Yeah. No. And, uh, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, recently on the good old Facebook, um, you know, my fear that we're starting to transition into a society that, uh, is capable of something like this. Um, yeah. Because yeah. we, we, we often, uh, you know, we're, we're a country divided, as they say, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, that's been said over the last 70 years or so, a number of different times, but now it just seems more volatile than ever. And you have people, you know, essentially blacklisting uh, other individuals um, for, you know, in, in this case, in, in our case, in our you know, current political circumstances, you know, Trump supporters, there were 72.3 million of them and right. uh you know they're they're not at all bad people they're great people they're wonderful people intelligent people loving people and uh and just because one side won you know now there's all of a sudden a, a blacklist or, or a list of trump supporters um that uh you know should be placed on this list in the eyes of of some of the the extreme especially those on the left and they shouldn't be allowed they should be barred from you know government service or you know
0: I mean, that's half America they're talking about, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they are I would say at this point in time, it's it's not based in any sort of logic. It's not based on any sort of, you know, like factual evidence that would state like, hey, you know, these people need to be put on a list because of A, B, and C, and then have A, B, and C be completely logical reasons. Um, That's just not the case. And that's sort of what happened, uh, you know, more or less in, in the Cultural Revolution is a lot of the persecution, a lot of going after pretty much the proletariat, uh, going after, you know, the, the, um, the sort of like the educated, uh, professors working at, um, you know, colleges, uh, people that were, you know, sort of high up, um, in, 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 in government positions that were, you know, more or less, um, in a position to really challenge Mao Zedong's power, um, what, book, what was
0: the impetus what what was the impetus the driving force behind that that passion i mean they're they're trying to rewrite all of the textbooks they're trying to reframe science itself like they're trying to reject there's a severe regression um because mm-hmm. of that you know what in the book they were talking about um saying that these ideas are highly uh what was the term they used um
1: I'm trying to remember that there was a, there was a particular term that they kept going back to when they were, you know, essentially beating, uh, even father.
0: Right. Um, it basically. wasn't, it wasn't capitalist. It was like, um, reactionary, Re- reactionary reactionary. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So what is it about that, that you think that they were, um, that was so compelling? Like why, why was it such a danger to what they were doing that they had to come out so strong against it?
1: Well, I mean, uh, What, what we're talking about here is like years of, so, so, so just, we'll we'll go, we'll go back to the fall of the last dynasty, which was the Qing dynasty, um, and, and sort of the rise of, of, of two, two paths, two possible paths. And one path under Chiang Kai-shek, um, which was more of a, you know, sort of democratic, um, Based uh, governing system, or you were going to go the route of of Mao Zedong, which is obviously Marxist. And uh, there were a number of you know events that happened in the meantime. You had the Japanese invade China, uh, which was incredibly devastating that nobody really talks about.
0: Right, and of that was pretty Jap- brutal.
1: Yeah, um, and of course the Japanese, uh, you know, they lost, and and you know, and it sort of left like a power vacuum, and who was going to you know? fill that void. And uh, it ended up that uh, Mao, you know, he won, obviously, and Chiang Kai-shek sort of, you know, retreated, well, not sort of did retreated to uh, what we call modern day Taiwan. And of course, they're a democracy. But, but more or less what it was is, um, for the longest time, uh, especially under the Qing dynasty, it was like, it was a feudal system, you know, so you had like one lord, and he sort of owned all the land, and and the proletariat, the peasantry, the, the serfs, if you will, they farmed that land, and the vast majority of, you know, what they farmed went to the lord, um, and that was definitely, you know, not a lifestyle anybody would want to live, and and that was sort of like the main argument. Um, and I'm I'm sort of just covering the surface here, but one of the main uh, arguments for a Marxist uh, governing system was to have everybody be, you know, on equal terms. It didn't really matter um, if you were a lord or a government official or, you know, uh, a farmer working the lands or the wife of that farmer. Um, They were all equal. And uh, that was... um, like the, the idea that Mao Zedong founded modern China on, um, which is why, you know, Marxism is, is prevalent. Um, and, and, and the cultural revolution essentially happened for two reasons. One Mao Zedong, uh, loved, loved his position at the top, you know, and people, people adored him. And there were people that were starting to speak out, which is reactionary. Um,
0: People yeah. who, oh, okay. So they were reacting yeah. to Mao's rise to power and some of the changes that have taken place. Yeah, yes. Yes. As a result of his uh, ascension.
1: Yeah, but this, but this is this is happening nearly 20 years after um, the rise of the Communist Party or, or the, the the Chinese People's Republic, um, and uh, you know, people are starting to sort of get comfortable with. Essentially, what they had was they they were they were they were slowly reverting back to the old ways, and Mao Zedong saw an opportunity to really like instill a lot of fervor and fire into the young people to say like, hey, you know, watch out for all these people except me. Um, they're starting to essentially they're starting to become wealthy at the expense of everybody else. Um, they're starting to do all these things that I thought we were trying to get rid of. So hey, you should rise up, and you should, you know, essentially start a revolution, you know, in in his mind, it was like, everybody should experience a revolution. Um, and so he, uh, uh, got the young people to, um, (laughs) in this case, commit atrocities. And I, I truly believe that, that, that wasn't his intention. I think his intention was more of to put a check on those people who were challenging his authority, but it really, really ran, ran rampant, ran out of control. Um, so, yeah.
0: yeah, that's the curious thing about that Marxist ideology is that it it gives a moral defense, a somewhat logical moral defense for virtually any action when it's done against someone who has more than you. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. that's a scary thing because jealousy and greed are powerful emotions. And so if you can be morally justified and encouraged by your own government to lash out against anyone who has acquired more stuff or is in a position of power over you or over an individual or any group of individuals or even a perception of power then that's gosh that that's a terrifying thing
1: yeah and uh it it didn't even it didn't need to be based on anything factual right not at all and and it could be a
0: a suspicion by someone or yeah. And and that's, and that's what it was. It was, yeah. um, or just hey, invented if you just don't like someone, yeah. so you invent something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Create something about them. Um, and, and you essentially, you say like, Hey, they're a part of the old ways. They're a part of, you know, that capitalistic, uh, or, or, uh, dynastic, uh, part of our past. And Hey, we don't like that. And e- even if it's not the case, all you have to say is, you know, especially Mao Zedong, probably the most revered person in, in Chinese history, um, can say like and just point at somebody and be like, hey, no, they're doing it the old way. Get them out of here. And and that's exactly what happened.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And that's that's something I think a lot of us Westerners don't understand about Eastern culture. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems to me that Eastern culture carries much more sort of grounded in the assumption that the government is, is mostly looking out for their well being and should be cooperated with.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, no, that is, that is, that is, um, definitely a true statement considering one of the the founding sort of like philosophies or like one of the, the sort of philosophical foundation of a lot of, uh, you know, like Chinese hierarchy, um, and, and the way the Chinese, like their, their social and cultural interaction stems from uh, Confucianism, um, which is, you know, over 2000 years old. And, and a lot of that has to, you know, sort of, it, it sort of revolves around the idea of a community and, and maintaining the hierarchical structure. Um, you know, there's, there's a specific hierarchy and, and everybody needs to know what their role is and they need to abide by it and they need not question uh, those um, who are above them. Um, and it it sort of, it relies on this mandate that everybody is inherently good. And so, because they're inherently good, if, if they seek, you know, like, um, to, you know, strengthen, you know, certain, um, what's the right word here, you know, certain, certain qualities that we, that we tend to, you know commonly accept as is, is something one like something you know more or less wonderful you know something like benevolence and wisdom and such like that if you pursue those things as the individual and then inherently uh, you will take care of the people that are around you So yeah I know it's probably a roundabout way of, of saying yes Josiah you are right but,
0: uh, <laughs> well what's yeah. what's so in such a stark contrast here in the West is that we were basically founded on the idea that actually governments tend to tend towards the despotic, uh, they tend towards tyranny and therefore should be set up in such a way as to have fairly significant checks and balances on their ability to grow in power. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's okay. So this, I'm going to make a little bit of a convoluted point that I haven't articulated super well, so bear with me. But what, what I see as being dangerous is a divided people and a united government. And the the strength of the U S has, very has historically been built on a divided government but a united people um and yeah. i think we've we've strayed from that in in recent times in a profound degree by the the government maintaining the illusion that it's divided when really the and, and it is divided to some degree i mean there there's definitely uh strong differences in certain aspects of policy But there's also pretty strong uh, agreement in other areas of policy. I mean, this whole stimulus package that got passed recently after this during the pandemic. Well, on one hand, it seems like a, a universal good, like, okay, how could I even question whether or not that was good? Like, well, hold on. Look at how many people got stupid amounts of money. And it's this, and it was almost unanimously voted for, but it was basically a big bailout package for a bunch of big businesses, you know, and that's. I don't like it when the government's united with big industry and and the people are so divided that they can't kick everyone else out because that's just it if if the people are together in their uh, in in what they want and need which really your average two average any two average Americans have far more in common with each other no matter what side of the political divide they are than they have in common with their quote-unquote representatives and so I would expect you know, I would expect people to be able to come together like that, but but that's just it's just not the case right now. And and I see the the violent polarization online and in public forums in such that I, I am concerned about a, a cultural revolution of this sort, especially when I see people shouting, you know, burn it all down. Uh things things that very much echo this cultural revolution, uh, these these same ideas where they're you know, they're wanting to They're making scientists, there was an article I read recently where a particular scientist who did some very valid study um, and he was suggesting something that was slightly politically incorrect. I mean like it was, was, he was just making a point of something he observed that was perfectly valid and he was a very well, uh, he was, it was a, a scientist who was well respected, had lots of published studies, very capable dude and he just got disowned by his own college by all these people because some person pointed out something that they didn't like about his study that had some politically uh sensitive ramifications and and i it's it echoed to me of the same sort of thing where they've got ideologically driven people pressuring scientists to to cave to their ideas and and the only result the only the only thing that only things that can come from that are bad like the the pursuit of truth and knowledge as such has been has resulted in in the progress of humanity more so than virtually anything else in modern history but i mean and this is something we should talk about you know uh, and perhaps maybe another major theme of this movie is, okay, how much of this progress is actually valuable? How much of it is good? Would we have been better off not progressing scientifically? You know what are the consequences of scientific discovery, and is it worth continuing them? You know I think this particular author uh, tries to make a strong case for the value of science and the pursuit of of knowledge, uh, objective knowledge as such to be the most valuable thing we can do. I, yeah, I don't know if I would hold that view exactly, but, um, but that's, he definitely tries to make that case. Anyway, yeah. I, I forget where I was rambling from, but
1: yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's,
0: the wonderful thing about
1: this novel is, is, is in, in retrospect, you know, they're like, what, what could you have done differently? Like how do you solve the, whatever led up to the start of the cultural revolution? And 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 when you when you circle back to that, there you're you're just gonna drive yourself crazy because there is no right <laughs> answer. Um, and, and 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 even in the title, the three-body problem, you know, a, a, a seemingly unanswerable physics problem. And then and then sort of the uh, the repercussions of, you know, like blasting frequency out into space and then using the sun as an amplifier to you know blast it further into space like we did that sort of on a whim we had like this grand idea of what it was supposed to do and then we're dealing with the issues of it so i think it's sort of like even in the realm of science and and in the realms well the realms of science and you know uh, like cultural um and culture and society it's there's no way to solve that problem. I think is, yeah. is sort of what he's getting. It's almost at. a
0: catch twenty two. A lot a, of yeah. a lot of progress ends up being a catch twenty two.
1: Exactly. You know. So the it's it's definitely uh, a lot to to unpack with this book because like like you said in the beginning, it's it's not there isn't there isn't a happy ending. Um, no
0: no and and this book is is one of a trilogy so for all of our readers here if you haven't read the two after it it's hard really even to discuss this book by itself like it's got a lot to it but there's the 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 next two are very significant to the story as a whole um alec you made a good point earlier about this this story not being particularly driven by characters uh, and it's far more driven by by Philosophy, I guess. Yes, um, I would. I would it, say, yeah, it's it's really more an exploration of of humanity dealing with existential challenges, uh, trying to solve unsolvable problems. It's it's a little bit of an ode to the creativity of humanity in the midst of its diverse um, opinions and ideas, and ability, uh, the resilience of humanity as well. There's a lot to it, but it's not super character driven.
1: No, no, it's, it's, uh, you are absolutely right about that. Um, and, and, you know, we can, we can sort of, you know, start to unpack maybe, uh, you know, some, some of the characters, I think, uh, Ye Wenjia, um, and I think you mentioned, uh, Tiang and, and Wang Miao, are maybe the three, um, uh, main characters that we can discuss briefly. Um, but, um, maybe we can even transition to why it's called the three body problem
0: yeah um, yeah let's do that so so why why is it called the three body problem what is that reference to
1: well so three pre body the three body problem and i'm probably going to butcher this I'm, I'm no physicist but essentially it's how you know three bodies whether they're like planets or in this case stars how they're going to interact uh, with uh, with each other you know following like the standard rules of physics yeah. Um, and I could
0: break that down a little bit. Yeah, go it's, ahead. Uh, if you've got two orbiting bodies, um, the, the mathematical models that predict how those, uh, how those bodies interact with one another are really, they're very simple. And, and, and as, as a result of that, we can predict standard orbits very accurately far into the future. For example, uh, if we look up in, in the solar systems, we can have a really good idea of where Neptune is going to be to be on the 23rd of uh, December you know, 2050. Like we could pretty much w- w- with very precise accuracy know exactly where it's going to be because it is a function of essentially what is two bodies, the, the gravity of the sun and the gravity of of neptune like those are the only two bodies involved in those equations and so it's fairly simple to predict but if you add just one more massive body of similar size onto the same plane in a way that their orbits interfere with each other uh, very tiny differences in in their positions and directions and speeds and masses at any given point uh, have amplified consequences as it goes forward in space. So it gets harder and harder to predict uh, what those orbits are going to look like the farther you get into the future. So it creates what is essentially an unsolvable problem.
1: Yeah, and in, in, in this novel, uh, the extraterrestrial you know, planet, Trisolaris, uh, not only do we have to worry about that planet, but we also have to worry about three stars that um, more or less affect, well... <laughs> Definitely, not more or less, but definitely affect the outcome of civilizations on Tris, Trisolaris. So, um, uh, the essentially Trisolaris is a plant, uh, a planet that is inhabited by an uh, you know an alien species that uh, can dehydrate themselves, like essentially turn into paper, and you know roll up and and and, and can be stored away. Um, during you know periods, of, you know a chaotic period where, you know let's say, um, two of those suns that are you know orbiting around this planet Trisolaris, are too close uh, to the planet to a point where you know it's too hot to exist on, or they are too far away. All the suns are too <laughs> far away, and it becomes freezing cold. Um, or, you know, the suns are lined up in a way where their gravitational poles are stacked up on one another and they just suck the planet, uh, in, into those stars. And so they have to deal with a world that is constantly changing.
0: Right. Um, yeah. That's like the big symbol that these guys represent. They're a, they're a human like species, but uh in such in an environment that is so horribly volatile that they have to be they have to be able to survive virtually any any fathomable temperature variation from just insane hot heat that would melt the rocks to insane cold that would freeze everything into you know, would freeze everything down to liquid nitrogen And so they're, they're extremely resilient, tough, uh, beings and that's where they come from. And, And of course their, their system inevitably has to be destroyed because sooner or later the three body system, their planet has, is going to end up coming in contact with one of the suns and there's no way around it. And so it creates a situation where for their own, their own survival as a species, they have to leave their planet. Yeah,
1: and um, you know, here we can we can sort of insert um, you know, sort of the, the character that we're first introduced to, uh, and that's uh, Ye Wenjie, um, who is a daughter or is the daughter of a man named Ye Zetai. Um and uh, he's a physics professor at uh, you know a university in in China, and he's one of the ones that's essentially attacked by the red guard and she has to witness him get beat to death by three young women, um, who have been radicalized, you know, sort of by, uh, um, by ID ideologically, by, the party. Uh, by yeah. yeah, by the party. Um, and, uh, they, they beat her father and to death in front of her and, and, you know, her mother, uh, and her little sister, I do believe, um, are, are both, um,
0: sort of like complicit com- in that
1: complicit. Yeah. They, they, they support it in a way more to save themselves, to save themselves from being yeah, for their own personal.
0: self-preservation.
1: Yeah. Which was often the case often, oftentimes um, as a family unit, if you had one bad egg, you were all bad eggs and there were certain protocols that you had to follow if you wanted to get into university or you wanted to go get this job or that job and it involved, Disowning your family, you know, essentially saying, like, they are bad people. You know, I'm with Mao. They're bad. I am going to disown them. And, uh, Yo Winjie refused to do this. So she was sent to Inner Mongolia, uh, to, you know, to, to, uh, to cut it.
0: trees. To cut trees.
1: <laughs> yeah. To, to cut trees, um, all day, every day. Um, and, she already at that time had this, you know, like disdain for humanity, um, like not, not It's on- pretty
0: understandable, yeah, you know, given the situation,
1: it's perfectly understandable. Not only is humanity willing to, uh, you know, brutally, you know, or advocate for brutally killing her father, um, you know, especially having it done by young people, you know, Young teenagers, oh,
0: um,
1: and then and, and then she goes out into you know the, the forests of Inner Mongolia, and now humanity's out there destroying the climate, just cutting right, everything she, down.
0: Doesn't she get a copy of *Silent Spring*? She um, does. Yeah, she I've never here. read that book. I've heard it was highly influential in the founding of uh, the Environmental Protection Agency. Yes, which is kind of a fun little little real history, you know, tidbit that gets woven into there. Yeah,
1: and uh, yeah, so it was introduced to her by a uh, I want to say a journalist, sort of, right. sort of sort of an insignificant right. character, um, who was trying to do the right thing. Um, he's, yeah, he's, and he
0: ends up betraying her as well, which he, is kind of this does. crazy sequence. Like, yeah, when sia gets betrayed over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, she gets betrayed by so he 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 writes this you know wonderful essay. Um, and uh yin wen jia is like supportive of it she read it and uh he he gave her his copy of silent spring and so he took this uh this this uh, well he
0: asked her he asked her to rewrite it because he has this messy first draft yeah that's that's her to rewrite it and then he puts his name on it <laughs> mm-hmm. and,
1: and sends it and sends it off to be read, and of course it's met with disdain, not because it's it's not based in fact, not because it wasn't a good essay, um, but because uh, the Silent Spring is a Western um, book. It comes from the West, and so therefore it must be bad, um, and you know it'd be like antithetical to you know any sort of you know Chinese idea. Um, to even like think about reading or or reading something like that and then writing about it, and so I, I'm sure. I mean, it's sort of implied in the novel that they're not happy with this journalist, but he he ends up blaming it on Ye Wenjie, which is sort of her like third and
0: final strike. Right. That was kind of the last straw that set her against humanity as a whole, and that's only relevant because it you know as as a character she's you know that she's fairly logical, you know that she's she's very thoughtful, she's brilliant, she's this great scientist. And yet after these, you know, three or three major, major betrayals by her country, by the 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 field that she's chosen to participate in, by this friend who seems to be on her side and, and agrees with her about the destruction that, that their their policies are causing to the environment. Uh, she's, she's finally put in a position where she actually gets to betray humanity. And that's, and that's kind of the, the culminating one of, if not the culminating moment of the book is like, and and when I put myself in her situation, I try and imagine if I could, if I might possibly not betray humanity, I mean, it just seems like the right thing to do. Almost, well, given that we don't know, we don't know this other species. It seems like, oh, if anything, they're better than we are.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Ye Jia, you would think that she would be sort of the antagonist, um, but in all actuality, you know, after this, and, and what I meant earlier by third strike was that she was already in a great deal of um, trouble because she refused to separate herself, uh, from her father. Um, she refused to Yeah,
0: politically. She's in a pickle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She, she essentially refused to give in. She refused to become her mother and her sister. And, um, they, they, you know, they put her in jail and they, they flew out, um, a, like a a well-renowned member of the party, um, to sort of say like, Hey, you're not in trouble. But only if you sign this document that essentially disowns, you know, your family, like essentially like betray, betray your family. Um, And and, you
0: can be forgiven.
1: And you can be forgiven. And she refused. She refused to do it. Um, And so you have to you have to take into account that they're in in, uh, Inner Mongolia, uh, which is, you know, high step. And it's the yeah. middle of the winter time, and this gal who seemed to be, you know, like sweet and loving, uh, kind of come across as like a professor Umbridge, um, uh, for lack of a, a better description. Yeah, that's a good. it's a good yeah. uh, comparison. Then, then, like I believe, dumps like freezing water on her. On her, yeah. And um, she she nearly she nearly dies to death from exposure and uh, hypothermia. <laughs> But it freezes is,
0: to death you mean yeah yeah
1: freezes sorry yeah freezes to death um and uh, it turns out that you know she ended up being rescued uh, by uh, Lei Zhi and Yang uh, Wei Ning which are um, essentially academics who are a part of the party that are setting up this um uh you know uh, was it called red Red, yeah, coast, the Red Coast based. The Red, Red coast based and and they sort of rescue her from her ultimate demise but she's yeah. already at this point she she's she's done with humanity she she's not a fan
0: right now okay so to bring it into a little bit of the outside of just describing the book here that uh, there's some really cool. There's some really neat things about her as a character. So for one, there's a lot about her that is admirable. She refuses to lie for the sake of self-preservation. Yep. That's that's like a recurring theme that we see in our heroes. Uh, I've been reading the Harry Potter books, and um, you know Umbridge again. She makes Harry Potter write. I do not tell lies. And blood in the back of his hand. And part of what we love about Harry is that he refuses to cave. Like he never he never lies just for the sake of getting out of trouble. Exactly. Well, that's not entirely true, but generally, yeah. he—he's he, you know, honest, and and a lot of these characters, a lot of these heroes, the honesty we admire deeply, and and in her case, it was to her own demise in a, in a very real, very tangible way, and so that was that was a big deal, especially given the fact that her dad was already dead. Like, yeah, you know, th- he wasn't even going to necessarily feel the consequences, and so I find that I find that really admirable, even though it's not totally logical. Yeah. Now. So she she ends up you know betraying humanity by revealing our, our position to this trisolarin civilization, which is the, the super advanced aliens, and and they have no choice but to come and invade uh, invade Earth because their civilization is going to be destroyed in the near future, and therefore they you know they they should be able to survive here in, in incredible amounts of comfort. Uh, And so she figures, you know, anything is better than us. But she makes this decision when she's still fairly young. She's I think she's in her 20s or 30s when that happens. Like she's still a fairly young adult. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: And then right after this happens, she ends up getting married. She has a daughter and she brings her daughter into the village at some point. Because uh, if I remember correctly, her daughter was really sick. Um, I, I wish I could remember exactly what happened, but basically this village shows her an incredible amount of kindness and they're terribly poor and, and they start coming to her for, for lessons like that to be taught. And she is just taken in and loved and doted upon and treated with just profound generosity by all these, by all these people who have nothing like they're the poorest of the poor out in the middle of, you know, middle of nowhere, China and they just take care of her like she's like she's family. And they treat her super well. And what what I think is fascinating is that that even though she maintains her place as the leader, uh, sort of the figurehead of the the Earth Trisolaris, what the ETO uh, organization, she her position shifts a little bit from the desire to see the Trisolarans come and take over the Earth entirely and eliminate. Like, um, like Mark Evans, like his mm-hmm. position, but instead, because and they set up him up him up as a little bit of a comparison character. Uh, she instead tries to work out a way that she wants to work out a way that they can live together, and she shows some remorse. And she, as an old lady talking to our our other scientist, you can see that she's found some inner peace a little bit somehow despite having betrayed humanity i mean she she is ultimately like her actions are the, while they are reasonable and understandable they're still the, the the greatest uh betrayal of humanity that of any person who's ever lived
1: <laughs> yeah and yeah. and and we you know we also didn't mention that she ended up she well she ended up marrying uh one of her rescuers uh and then right. she ends up killing him
0: yes murdering him yeah they in order to in order to to get away with this huge betrayal
1: yeah she essentially uh they they they're both um you know uh, on on a rope on the side of you know this this hill hillside that the the red guard or the the red coast base is built upon and she essentially lets the rope go um and uh, now it's just her and her daughter um but yeah i mean it's it's interesting that you bring up um um, Mark Evans, uh, because
0: well, he's Mike he's Evans, the reason. He's the way you know that Yawin Sia is not actually the great villain. Like, yeah, exactly. She she's yeah. not she's not the hero. She is not a hero. One should say, but she's also not a villain. She's just a person, and she she makes very human decisions and very very reasonable decisions given her life experience, and and that if if that's not a warning against the terror of ideology, then I don't know what is. If you can take a, a human being with, with such a kind and reasonable and honest and relatively admirable heart, like she is a person with, with what would be considered good character and submit her to the kind of circumstances that she grew up in with this cultural revolution. And what you end up with is someone who's willing to betray humanity. Like that's a, that's a, big statement i think the author is trying to make
1: yeah yeah and, and at, so the way the way i look at it um is 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 she went from acting emotionally like she was angry and had every right mm-hmm. to be angry and uh you know probably uh was more or less uh on the le- on the same level in terms of uh, like sort of like a nihilistic view of humanity that that mike evans was and mike evans he was uh you know he would be like the leader of you know like Greenpeace or you know so, some something like that where uh, the earth um is incredibly important to him he's first introduced when he's you know you know planting all these trees and then all these trees get cut down and you know he he absolutely despises humanity whereas
0: right he hates his dad yep. Yep. his dad is this oil baron
1: mm-hmm. he
0: he's so uh what was that other he he's read that there's a, an essay about the ethics of here. He basically believes that all living things are worth the same. You know, humans are mm-hmm. worth just as much as birds and, and they, we, we deserve a, There's an equality of, of outcome for everyone mm-hmm. is what is his highest goal. But it's just fascinating to me that that equality of outcome for everyone translates to better that everything should be dead.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, it, it, and it turns out that, um, when yeah, Wenjie actually sort of transitions from, you know, being on that same playing field to, I just really wanted to give humanity a big spanking, you know, like I really don't want the total annihilation of humanity. I just want them to hurt a little bit for the things that, you know, were done to me. Um, and it it develops, it actually creates a, a, a factionalizes the ETO, which stands the, the earth trisolaris organization to the point where, um, Mike Evans, uh, is, is starting to withhold information from tri trisolaris. Um, you know, no, there's
0: from, from, yeah, no, Tia, from,
1: from, uh, from, yeah, uh, yeah, from, sorry, from, uh, yeah, when Tiet, um, and, you know, other members who, who aren't on that same playing field who don't want the total annihilation of humanity, um, and so there is a little bit of redemption there on Yeah Wen Jie's, uh side of things um, in the end of the novel, anyway.
0: Right, and on that on that same note, you've got you've got this other character, the the scientist Wang Miao, Wang uh, Miao, I think. Yes, yep. yeah. So this is the nanomaterials researcher. So he's he's. Uh, so, somewhat of our hero of the story, so he's the one you kind of follow around, and he unravels the mystery of the ETO. And, um, and one of the the, the final scenes in the book is is him drinking with a, another character that we got to be sure to talk about. Um, Dasha, what's in da, Dasha, yeah, let me just call him Dasha Chang. And so the two of them are are drinking together here after they realize that they're. 400 years down the line, humanity is going to be invaded by this, uh, by this alien race who is so resilient and so tough and so technologically superior and, and all this stuff. And that there's, there's no hope for any fundamental science progression because of the, the sofon that's been released on humanity. That's been screwing everything up and is the reason behind all the, the things that were supernatural that he was seeing. Um, and they're having this discussion about, <laughs> about bugs, about how, how despite the fact that humanity is so far superior to the bugs on this planet, and yet the bugs still endure. And and that's kind of where the, the author leaves it. It was with this idea that, okay, no matter how superior someone may be, it's resilience that counts. It's that ability to come back and ability to, to keep striving for survival that will determine ultimately what who makes it to the end, you know, who endures. I mean that's that's the trislaren for sure right I mean they' they're about as resi- they're far more resilient than cockroaches even
1: yeah and, and they're far more technologically advanced uh, you know their, their ability to essentially take a photon and break it down into you know uh, I think it was 10 or 11 dimensions um, install software into that photon and then send it to Earth. And then being able to communicate instantaneously, you know, from however many light years away they are, you know, 450 years it would take them. Uh, moving, you know, at you know a, a certain yeah, so fraction of the speed of light.
0: Alpha Centauri is where those guys were supposed to be, which is uh, about eight light years away. And, yeah. and the only reason it takes four hundred years to get there is because of the acceleration and deceleration process of the spaceships. But yeah. but it's it's really close as far as uh, space distances go. <laughs>
1: exactly. So the you know, he introduces, you know, another sort of, you know, uh, what's it called, um, uh, with the uh, the photons. Um, the ability yeah, to the- communicate, um, I think it's called quantum entanglement.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is, is, which is a real thing just yeah. we don't, we don't understand it. It's, it's some really incredible modern science that he takes to a little bit of a, a logical, it's a classic sci-fi where they take something that's that's real and, and tweak it and, and mm-hmm. extend it out a little bit but that was such a fascinating idea too it's like okay wait might there be a time where we can communicate these sorts of distances i mean like that's one of the great problems of space travel yeah exactly
1: uh, exactly and, and, it, and it also it, it sets uh, um it, sort of like it, it makes us it, it's almost ironic the way the way i, I view you know this 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 crazy relationship is you know like the humans have been the, the predominant you know the alpha if you will species on earth come come to find that you know out in the universe out in the uni- universe out in that uh you know sort of dark forest there are species that are far superior to us um hence hence the you guys are bugs comment yeah.
0: uh, and, <laughs> yeah, and that's what man.
1: makes yeah that's what makes sure Sh- uh Chang chiang sort of like uplifting like hey man cockroaches survive anything uh, you know, sort of like a, it's, it, 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 it puts a, a sort of hope hopeful span on a real and, 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 and up to that point, of, you know, so like a, a hopeless sort of outcome that you think is going to happen. It's like, well, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons to fear, but there is, there is a, a reason to, you know, sort of uh, hope for a better outcome. If you just look at cockroaches.
0: <laughs> talk about seeing the silver lining yeah exactly <laughs> that's, that's quite quite a silver lining yeah. uh, there's so much there, so much of the richness of this story i think is tied up in the next two books and i don't want to go into them too dramatically at this point but uh, but i hope to discuss them uh at, at length coming up uh, the character Da she, What do you what do you take about what do you take from him? How do you how do you see him in this whole story? and What do we have to learn from him about about the morals and the ethics of our actions? Well, uh,
1: personally, um, Da she is is my he's my favorite character, Shu Tianting, because he is. Well, firstly, he's incredibly brilliant. He is, he is super smart, but within like a, a sort of different ecosystem or eco chamber, I should say, for the most part, you're dealing with scientists, you're dealing with people who have PhDs and they Friends understand, yeah, they understand, you know, things like using the sun as an amplifier or, you know, quantum,
0: uh, uh um, entanglement, theory, entanglement yeah, yeah.
1: quantum entanglement, things like the three body problem. Um, as, as a matter of fact, uh, just, just a quick side note, um, this character that we were talking about, Wang Miao, he actually solves the three body problem in this novel. He
0: oh, his actually... buddy
1: does. Yeah. Um yeah, his uh,
0: buddy comes up with that yeah. algorithm, the, yeah, the evolutionary yeah, algorithm. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, he
1: does. Um and so, you know, the 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 he essentially um you know gives trice trisolaris well no I mean uh, either way, what I'm saying is we have a bunch of nerds here. Um, and then and then you're introduced to Dasher Shirtiang, who is sort of like a, a beat cop, you know, like working in the cities. Um, he yeah, super he,
0: intuitive. He, he gets the in, criminal's mind yeah, better than he, anyone else.
1: He, he understands, uh, you know, the way the bad guy thinks uh, because he himself uh, would make a damn good bad guy and, and probably in his past has done uh, things that would be less than savory. Um, but it, at the same time, you know, he's probably, he's probably the most grounded character that we have. Um, you know, he doesn't care to think beyond, um, you know, the, uh, the
0: what's immediately the, relevant.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he cares for what's immediately relevant. He's not looking up at the stars. Um, he's mm-hmm. trying to solve the issues that are happening now. And so his enemy is the ETO. Like how, how do we, uh, you know, crush these people that you know are communicating with the enemy. I don't care who the enemy is. I don't care if they're aliens. He's he's gonna treat this like he would any sort of a case uh, that he would be solving uh, at any other point in time. Smokes a lot. Yeah, too. he's
0: <laughs> he does. He smokes a lot, and he's funny because he he's so he's so simple and so direct. So like the 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 philosophical challenges of and and. and the philosophical, what do you call it? Ramifications of knowing that there's another species out there who's more, who's vastly superior, and, and there's so many. And this book series explores a lot of those. Um, but but Dasha, he he breaks it down to the most simple, the most simple things. He's like, either you can take it or you can't. You know, you can mm-hmm. if you, if you're if you're having trouble, if you're gonna crack, well then you need to go to sleep, and you need to eat some food, and you need to go to work like it's just yep. that simple. You don't yep. got to worry about all this stuff and he he just knows how to break it down to what matters. Yeah. And he's a huge help to these to these scientists and in the end because of his out of the box thinking, but also because because of that like you said that groundedness. And I really admire that about his character and and that can be that can be such a hard thing to know to know when to worry about the big picture and, and the ramifications, two, three, four steps down the line Mm -hmm. and to know when to pull back and just do the small thing that you can do right now, eat food, take a drink, get some sleep. Exactly.
1: Exactly. You know, like these scientists are, they're worried about the, you know, the, uh, the, the interruption by the, the Sophons, I think they're called, uh, because yeah, they're, so they're, fun, yeah. the Sophons are just, they're, they're messing with our hydron colliders. They're, they're essentially making it impossible for us to become any more advanced than we already are, technologically speaking. Um, and so, you know, a lot of these scientists, especially Wang Miao, who is, um, who works as a, a nano, yeah, nanomaterials re- researcher, you know, he's super concerned, that's his life. You know, like how how can we fight this enemy if we can't make advances in technology? And you know, you have sure to you know sort of say, "Hey, man, they're four hundred and fifty years away." <laughs> you know, what are
0: you freaking out about? You'll yeah. be dead.
1: Yeah, you you'll be dead. Uh, let's do what we can right now to to you know fight. Um, and uh, you know, at the at the end of the novel. He he essentially rescues, you know, um, Wang Miao and another character, uh, Shi Tiang, like from their, you know, they're just wallowing in their sorrows. And, uh, you know, he, he uh, you know, says, hey, guys, like, there's still a fight to be to be had here. Don't give up so easily. Um, and you wouldn't expect that, you know, necessarily from that type of character. Uh, yeah,
0: you really don't.
1: Yeah, he's he's I, I would argue that he's the most relatable uh, of all the characters.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he is besides being a genius at what he does. Mm-hmm. He is the most sort of simple, real guy. He, he brings everything down to the, the level that most anyone can appreciate. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And, and he he definitely challenges the status quo. You know, a lot of people don't like him. Even Wong Miao, uh, when they first start working together, Wong Miao is hesitant you know, to sort of work with the guy who can't stop smoking, who, you know, right. is his vulgar, he's um, dirty, cusses. Dirty cusses. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He has no, he's no respecter of persons. Like yeah. He doesn't care whether you're the, you know, the, the key, the chief or, or some other cop. He treats everyone the same.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, he, he pretty much mandates that you earn his respect, that, that, you know, that your title or, or, you know, you could be the nerdiest nerd in the world. Um, but, is worth little to him he cares i guess more about character um and actually him and wang miao end up i would say becoming friends um because you know wang miao starts to realize that hey this tall sure guy he really knows what he's doing um
0: yeah he's super competent
1: yeah he's 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 always there when he needs him he uh you know essentially um organizes the the downfall Dasher does of well between him and, and Wong Miao organized the downfall of the ETO um, because,
0: yeah, they, they coordinate what, what amounts to, I mean, the, the most significant thing is they discover the data files that hold the records of the interactions of the, the with the, with the earth people. And that's, and that ends up being highly consequential because the plan is laid bare. Yep. The, the, they can all of a sudden understand why everything has been going wrong. They understand how they've been interfering with the science. And, and so there's, they know what they're up against be thanks to this, this unconventional method of stopping the ETO's boat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, so we've, we've discussed um, how the other two books come into play. Um, and I, I, I sort of would say to the people listening that this book is wonderful, but I would argue that the second book is sort of where the masterpiece really comes together. So, yeah, I mean, um, the
0: second piece is a master is the second book's a masterpiece, but the third one really gets me. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: I'm, I'm a fan of the, uh, some of the concepts
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, of, of the second book, um, because I, I think this, this, this book acts more as like an interlude, or like the the what's it the prologue?
0: Yeah, it's a setup. It's, it's the a setup. setup. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's just it, I I think it, what um sorry excuse me what uh, Leo uh, Sussine does wonderfully in all his books is is he picks you know a, a theme you know like a philosophical theme that we've been struggling with since you know we have been you know, since we first started philosophizing, I don't even know if that's Mm -hmm. a word. Uh, He picks a theme and he utilizes science fiction and he utilizes history. um, It's like history in such a way that, you know, like kind of like replays historical um, significance, historical, um, you know, events that have happened to sort of pick apart uh, some of those philosophies and, and look a little deeper into them. Um, in a way that's not as, uh, I would say boring, you know, you can, you can read Kant all you want, but you're going to fall asleep. Um, <laughs> you know, but instead you can read, uh, uh, and, and get like essentially the same arguments. Um, and, uh, you, it's hard to find in a book.
0: It really is. It really is. And, and so this first book, it, you know, the three body problem, the title itself, three body, gives some hint to the the at least this sim the symbolic or the metaphorical question that he's seeking to address the metaphorical philosophy which is uh, how do you solve an unsolvable problem
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know wh- what do you what do you do with unsolvable problems yep. because that's in this story you've got all these characters who are over and over faced with uh, they're brilliant they're the the best of the best minds but they're faced with circumstances where there seems to be no solution whatsoever you've got this guy who's uh, watching the cosmic background radiation flashing before him it's like how does that happen it can't there's just no way and then you've got uh you've got these political struggles that you start out with where there's just absolute rampant running away cultural fervor that there's no way out of it you know you see there's no one who's who can escape. There's no one above, above being taken down by the party. Like there's no one who's safe Yeah, from yeah. the bottom to the top. Yeah,
1: and, and that's, a, that's an incredible, incredibly Chinese way of sort of looking at the world. You would think that it would be almost nihilistic.
0: Um, yeah. Right. That's kind of what I, I mean, that's, yeah. and it presents it that way as like, that's how it's going to turn out. I mean, that's, that's yeah. When yeah. She, she comes to a very nihilistic conclusion, before the end it's yeah. not her final conclusion but that's no. that's a you know that that's where she goes along the path to to peace
1: yeah but you see um what ends up happening is on the extreme it actually is what's his name mike evans yeah so, mike so evans extreme. he's the extreme, it, he's Alex, the extreme yeah. so um he's where you don't want to go
0: yeah, he's and not. Then, he's and, like where you don't want to end up. If you stop too early, you end up at Mike Evans.
1: Yeah. So, and then you you have characters that are on the other side of that, um, and it who are on the other side of that extreme, for example, um, or you have characters uh, like like yeah, who you know they sort of move move back and forth. Um, and I, I would argue that well, firstly that the the Chinese. I'm am not sort of simplifying this, but they don't necessarily believe in a utopia. Like life is life. Life is as as the Buddhists would put it, it's dukkha. Like shit happens, bad things happen, good things happen. Um and so it, it's sort of I would I would argue, you know, searching for a perfect society. Um, you know, is is sort of like it's not gonna work. There is no such thing. So that's why the, I, I feel like this sort of might come across as nihilistic, because it doesn't have that like incredible happy ending, you know, yeah. perfect outcome that we all look for.
0: <laughs> it's not a happy ending book.
1: Yeah, but we don't. Uh, I, I would say it's not that, a happy
0: ending story as a whole. Yeah the, yeah, the end of the third one broke my heart. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, but but in the in the grand scheme of things, it's all relatively neutral. Right. Like, like from our point of view, sure, we might view it as more negative because, you know, traditionally, you know, just based on, you know, a lot of, I would say, you know, our, our, our cultural norms or their social norms, you know, we seek out a utopia, we seek there, out the ultimate good and in, it's in pretty
0: in, deeply rooted in our, yeah. in our psyche, just it, that I, the idea of heaven and hell, exactly. the idea of a paradise, like yep. the, the supposition that if we all act properly, then we might be able to attain a paradise. Like that's a pretty deeply rooted religious idea.
1: Yeah, and and a lot of you know Chinese, uh, you know, if you want to go religious ideas, if you want to look at you know uh, Mahayana Buddhism, uh, you know, or or a certain sects of Buddhism would argue that the perfect world, the paradise, is Earth. We just have to see it, you know. Like <laughs> or or um, you know, you can look at Taoism and uh, you know Wu Wei, you know, just sort of going with the flow. It is what it is. Um, You know the the Earth is a beautiful place. It has you know there are negative things, there are bad things, but you know we live on, and um, there's a certain beauty in that.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and there's there the argument to be made of of like okay, there may not be a utopia, but but there's not really any better way to act than to try to do your best to create it because yeah. yep. because what's the opposite? Like if you go the other way, it's like okay, let's just say people don't try their best, don't act properly, so you know, if, if, if on one hand you can't act properly enough in order to create heaven or to create a paradise, well then if you go the other way, well, what if I don't care how I act? Well, that doesn't, not, not only does that not create utopia, that very quickly crumbles into just chaos and mess mm-hmm. and, and hell. Yep. So we, we, we know we can create hell. Like the cultural revolution is hell in many ways. Like that's, yep. That's chaos and destruction and pain and suffering to an extreme, mm-hmm. um, and and the 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 rape and pillage of our earth and the environment. That is also like that. That's when people don't care what the consequences of their actions are. That's where you end up, and that's no good either. And so, while while maybe maybe the converse isn't true. Maybe it's not true that you can create heaven with your actions, but it's also it's also not obvious that it's false. Like, mm-hmm. there, it might be one of those things where there's a there's an infinite limit. There's a limit somewhere, but it's so far away that you'll never. <laughs> it goes off to infinity. Maybe we can keep improving things little by little, bit by bit, just by being resilient and being tough, and you know, starting over and trying again, and and being like those trisolarans in there willingness to to over and over and over confront the the terrible world they're you know, resurrected into
1: yeah yeah that uh, I, I could even argue that you know just based on the title of the book the three body problem you know you could you could be in your head about you know the insolvability of you know human nature or the human, you know, like you can try and, you know, reach a conclusion as to why we do bad things to each other. If we Mm -hmm. all, you know, sort of, you know, agree more or less with that. Good is better. Um, yet we continue to do bad things to each other. It's like this vicious circle of like, yeah, if, if we were just all good to each other, you know, the world would be a better place. And yet, you know, we end up doing terrible things to each other. So it's sort of unsolvable. Um, right. Which, which, which in in the next complicated, there's too much complexity. Exactly. Yeah. So I was going to say, you know, the, the next book, we won't, I won't get into it too deeply. So don't worry. But, uh, the dark forest, I mean, uh, if you just, you know, sort of do a little digging as to, you know, like the theory of the dark forest, it, it pretty much says what I just said, you know, like it's a, it's a constant back and forth struggle of, you know, you not not understanding you know we constantly wish to understand you know but but well
0: understanding is the only is the only defense and in the dark forest scenario there's no way to have understanding without having the the likelihood of destruction
1: yeah Yeah.
0: like dark dark, the whole dark forest problem is is a game theory problem that is i'm excited to talk about another time but but yeah it's it, it gets to the the idea that and in fact the, the fact that the Trisalaran system, you know, maybe I'm giving a little more way here than I should, but they never actually end up coming to ultimate conflict. Like there is conflict and, and there are casualties, uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: dramatic casualties on both sides. But yep. the fact that that Trisalarans never actually end up wiping out humanity is a miracle of understanding in some sense. Like, there, is. There, there was an outreach that happened that empowered uh, the merging of those two cultures, two societies through the unsolvable problem. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that's that, cool. You know, like yeah. that all of the unsolvable problems sort of get kind of sort of get solved. You know, the, mm-hmm. the Armageddon, the ship gets, gets cut open and they end up getting the information they need. And, and that was an unsolvable problem. Thanks to the ingenuity of Darsha and of uh, the professor and, you know, the the cultural revolution problem is somewhat solved. It, it sort of fades into the background in many ways as it does. As, it does, yeah. Just because of the resilience of, of the individuals, you know, the of the the towns, people, of the scientists who kept teaching of the world that goes on. It's there's something to be said about about resilience and determined determined efforts in in a positive direction and their ability to slowly work their way past seemingly insurmountable challenges. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, um, I I guess that's why I I was saying earlier, there's beauty in it, you know, like there's, there's beauty in progression because it's, it's, you know, it's all around us. You know, we can choose to look at all the evil because it does exist. Um, yeah.
0: Evil's always there.
1: Evil's always there. And, um, you know, but for, for every evil thing, there's there's, you know, I would say uh, uh, much more good uh, that's being done, you know, in the background, in the shadows, if you will, uh, behind closed doors. You know, something like this podcast, just two dudes talking about a book they like. Um, and, and and those things sort of go unnoticed, um, but they exist. And
0: uh, yeah, they're small, but it's <laughs> like Gandalf answer. says. Yeah, like Gandalf says, I don't think it's the it's only great power that keeps evil at bay. think it's the small actions of everyday people yeah exactly (laughs) there's something to that
1: yeah and so
0: what do you think think there's actually aliens out there
1: i I would say in all likelihood there is if it's if if space is as vast as as it is and we exist um you know i'm not i'm not saying that uh you know there's some planet out there that's has three stars constantly destroying it and then recreating it with people yeah, who that, can dehydrate that seems pretty themselves. unlikely to me. <laughs> but you know,
0: that's that's a curious thing about this story. Is like, okay, why couldn't they have had this civilization in in some other near Earth like planet? Like, why did it have to be this horrible three body type civilization? Like, I don't, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me why they would have chosen such a such a because yeah, you know, for life to evolve and spring up again and again and again over the course of even, even millions of years when they're exposed to those sorts of extremes, it just seems so terribly implausible to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think why that was done it's, it's because it's not so much about the aliens. Um, I would argue that in this book, um, as you know, working as the, you know, the sort of set in the stage, if you will, of the, of the next two books, um, where the, like the, the sort of like culture and, you know, like s- s- social norms, societal norms of the alien species comes into play. I think now it's like in this book, at least it's more about, you know, human interactions and, and the, the tri, the are um, you know, sort of like, this is what happens when you're divided, you know, like in a world divided, if there are aliens, this is what will happen. Uh, um, yeah. You know what I mean? And so in the second and the third book, um, it, it really, you know, you see a problem solved and then you see another, you know, problem um, arise. And, you know, it's just like this back and forth. Um, but yeah, I think I think they I, in, in the grand scheme of things, if you think of all you know science, science, you know, fiction novels or movies that you've seen, these creatures, these creatures, these aliens are f- fairly simple.
0: Yeah, there's not a whole lot to them. They're essentially yeah. humanoids. They're essentially humanoids. They're just really, yeah. really, really, really resilient humanoids.
1: Yeah, and so in the second book, and hopefully we can we can come back and do a podcast about it. I think that's when we really start to discuss, you know, so like uh, some of their other attributes, um, you know, and and sort of compare and contrast that with what humans aspire uh, uh, to be uh, and and act with one another, um, you know, in terms of you know telling the truth um, you know, all the time, you know, always being honest, never lying. Um, <laughs> you know, like a very black and white, no nuanced sort of in the middle. Um, you know, that, you know, we, we constantly walk, but yeah, I mean, hopefully we can come back and, and, and discuss the, uh, the, the, the latter two, cause you, you almost have to,
0: you really do. There's yeah. so much in those. And that I love the, I love the question of, I love thinking about the philosophy of, of aliens and life on other planets because on one hand, okay, the fact that we exist, well, see, that's the thing about probabilities, right? If, if it's highly improbable for an intelligent species to ever evolve and we exist, therefore it seems likely that given the sheer numbers of other planets and stars that it seems likely that in other places and some the it, it's likely that life would life like us so when i mean not like us actually but in other intelligent life should probably have if it's probable enough to happen once it seems plausible to have happened twice yeah. you know yeah. and if it's happened twice and we've got a billion billion stars in these galaxies mm-hmm. in, around the around the universe then you know maybe it's happened many times
1: yeah and there has to be you know uh, an uncountable you know uh, number of goldilocks zones And and within those zones, planets that are capable of, you know, uh, having life on them. And then as that life, you know, especially if it's as old or young as ours, you know, they're more or less going to look like us.
0: I mean, Uh, who knows? It would be similar, you would
1: think. uh, (laughs) You would think. Because it's only, I I would guess, evolutionary speaking, evolutionarily speaking, if they're in a Goldilocks zone, there's only so many ways that they could... um, You know, sort of evolve, but uh, who knows? That's all speculation. It is. There's so much.
0: That's the problem. Is it's just so hard to imagine something that it would be very different than us. I think of like Avatar, that movie. uh, Yeah. James Cameron did recently. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's just this beautiful, spectacular movie of of life that has evolved on another planet. And he does his best with all these artists and creative people to try and imagine how else life might evolve. And it's spectacular, Mm -hmm. but it's still derivative. Like it's still very much uh, has its parallels in our world. Yeah. And there's no way around that. Like it's just impossible to imagine something too different.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you, if you start to go too crazy, uh, then it turns comedic. It either turns comedic or it turns into a horror story you know, if you look at something like star Wars and you're looking at, you know, you walk into like the pub or the bar or whatever it is, and you have all these, right, the
0: cantina, cantina,
1: uh-huh. all these crazy aliens. And you're like, Oh man, those look weird. Um, and then on the <laughs> other, on the other end, you're dealing you know, with aliens, you know, from like the movie alien where they're, you know, spitting acid and, you know, have long suction cup, you know, tongue mouths or whatever the hell you want to call it right,
0: giant like yeah proboscis
1: yeah exactly or you're dealing with something like the predator who has night vision and you know infrared you know like all this crazy stuff it gets silly fast yeah, exactly exactly so you gotta i think if you really want to tell a good story where you're trying to you know not take away from you know like sort of like the thematic uh elements of the novel or at least you really want people to focus on those you got to keep it humanoid i would argue
0: yeah, well, and and a, a novel, especially a series around this that's so philosophically focused, it's yep. helpful to have a, a humanoid species to compare us with. Yeah. Exactly. And, and in this one, you know, the author I think is somewhat gracious on humanity despite the brutality of of what takes place because and and it's given that because they compare us to this other culture that prizes they're they're so they're incredibly savage because they're they need to be because they have to be so tough and so durable and so anti fragile mm-hmm. that it's created them it's brought them into a place where they are you know brutal beyond beyond anything we could imagine <laughs> yep. and and so accepting of life as it comes exactly. uh, and and it's not glorified you know like we don't want that here it's really it's not it's re- it's repulsive to me. And, and I think this might be a little bit different in my attitude than like an Eastern person. And maybe you could correct me, but, but that sort of stoic acceptance of the suffering that they are subjected to uh, seems like to me, seems, you know, out of place, but at the same time I could see that as maybe being a, a, an asset to, to an Eastern culture. Is that, is that, am I off way off base on that or does that make sense?
1: Well, I mean, uh, I would think it's it's a fairly yeah. See that's it's sort of difficult because, firstly, I don't I don't are are you talking like like in in contemporary China you would think like hey I wouldn't want to live like those people or or do you no, want no to... I'm
0: thinking of um I'm, I'm comparing that scene towards the end of the book where uh, the 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 Tri-Salaran who received the message from yes yeah yeah who was then receiving his like punishment mm-hmm. um and it's all super straight face and and there's no emotion in any of it mm-hmm. and they they're totally accepting of of their lot in life yep. because they have to be so so steeled against the elements because it's such a such a harsh reality that they live in um i was just thinking that that to me that seems so repulsive. Like it's so, it's so flagrantly rejecting of Western ideas of an individual's value. Yeah. But, um, but that's, I think that's, that's really a Western philosophical ideal. Well, more so than an Eastern.
1: Yeah. Because I, I would say Western, you know, the Western, a lot of Western, I would say philosophical ideals or whatever, sort of like stem around sort of egalitarianism where we're all, we're all individuals, you know, we're all equal under the eyes of, you know, God or, or whomever. We should all be treated as as an ends versus as a means to an end. Um, but I think I think in a lot of, I would say, historically speaking, when when the elements were were against you, you know, where life was far more difficult, whether you know you're you're nomadic or or whether you know, yeah, times of war. Yeah, times of war. I mean, a lot of uh, when it comes to at least the the Chinese, I mean, if you go back two thousand years, or you go back you know five thousand years, all they've known for for a long time is war. And I think a lot of people they sort of don't give credit uh, where credit is due uh, in terms of you know sort of recognizing that the Chinese culture. Is is far richer, um, uh, far more dense and complex than probably any culture in existence.
0: Well, it's ancient. It's, so a- it's very ancient.
1: It's, it's an- It is incredibly ancient. And um, if you look at some of their, you know, like socially and culturally uh, speaking, you know, some of like the, those foundations are built upon, you know, hierarchy. They're built upon, you know, something called filial piety, which is, you know, where you you, you, you know, sort of re- in reverence of, of your parents, um, you know, Mm. even in their old age or, or the King has, you know, is supposed to essentially be this perfect human being who is equally, you know, uh, I guess, pious for lack of a better term, even though, um, Confucianism is more of a philosophy, but the, the reason why all this exists, I would argue, is because it's, it's highly structured, uh, in order to stem the chaos, I mean, you went through years and years. You know, you had like the Warring States period, um, where China was essentially uh, it, it had a king. You know, the, you know, the, but it China was divided into smaller, you know, whether you want to call them like states, for lack of a better term. And each one of these states had, you know, dukes that were vying for power and constantly attacking one another. And, you know, just, just war on a massive scale for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um,
0: yeah, when and, you've got that kind of chaos going on, it starts to make sense that you would have much more rigid social structures in order to keep that at bay.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and so then you have, you know, after you know, the, the unification of China, which at that time was infinitely smaller than it is now, as we see it on a map. Um, you have, you know, you have the Mongols invade, um, you have, you have Chinggis Khan and and Kublai Khan, you know, essentially just wreaking havoc and, you know, establishing new dynasties. And this lasts for thousands of years. And then the last dynasty falls because people, you know, it, 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 uh, you know it's sort of like that it's a cyclic they they were trying to get out of the cycle you know mm-hmm. china as we see it now they entered in a new age you know for better or worse you know from a western perspective they were trying to get out of that dynastic cycle they were trying to you know take their country in a different direction because for thousands of years you know well, not for thousands of years, but, you know, the, so the dynasties, uh, there were some major dynasties I'm sure you've heard of like the Han dynasty or the Tong or the Song dynasty the Yuan dynasty, um, that, you know, did, did wonderful things for the world. Um, and, uh, then, then there, there was a period of time where, you know, it was sort of petering out the dynasty wasn't, uh, doing what it should. And, and you had this transition where, I mean, you still have a lot of those cultural and social norms, uh, that were uh, this sort of transcended um, into this more modern contemporary China. Um, But nonetheless, um, you know, it's that richness, you know, that's that. And and I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to get to, I'm not trying to ramble or anything like this, but the the thing that makes this book wonderful is that it's rich. You know, you can tell that like, if this were, if this were to be done in the West, it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't work right it wouldn't it wouldn't have that same feeling um in my opinion at least if you're talking about um you know trying to apply sort of like western philosophy because that's, that 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 ero- that evolves around egalitarianism and this one evolves more around the community uh that's why you know we've said before the individuals aren't really that important um
0: it's I, I, I don't know. It just... yeah, it's not, they're not, it's not the same hero's story as, oh, no, as most of the books we've read. Like there's no, there's no huge arc. I mean, yeah. Once has, has quite a bit of an arc because you get to see her, uh, growing up in the Cultural revolution. You get to see her through her adult years, uh, acting out the, the consequences of what society has sort of created her to be. And then you get to see her as a, a wizened older lady, um, Living out the end of her life, trying to make some of it right, slightly modifying her position, Mm. and and but that's kind of the extent of the character arcs. It's it's a little, and it's much more about, like you said, cultures and societies as a whole. It's about the preservation of humanity as a whole. Uh, It's even the Trisolarans, the only individual that you really get in that whole. culture is the one who receives the message that's the only one you even hear described of and they're kind of a particularly uh merciful one in that they either they send a signal back immediately to say oh don't reply to this yeah yeah <laughs> or you will be invaded yeah and and so it's kind of a they you know they betrayed their group essentially as well for the sake of for this in a, in a self-sacrificial uh move to preserve the earth which might have uh unwittingly caused yeah when yeah in order uh, it might have caused her to to send her reply which was we want you here because the first person she interacts with is this exceptionally merciful (laughs) trisalaran yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) yeah there's a there's kind of an interesting um gosh see that's a that's a funny that's a funny paradox there right because she sends a message out which she's still safe they send a return message because and because that one that one individual Trisalarian is merciful they tell her not to respond back and they won't be able to invade yeah and then because that one is merciful she responds back telling them to invade because they're better off than with humans C- just because she met the one who might have actually been better than your average human <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: that's there's definitely a paradox it's
0: it's kind, like, it's kind of strange i mean like what if that what if that alien had said oh wonderful it sounds so so excellent tell me more about your you know your society uh, and then underhandedly betrayed her again which is really what they should have done uh, well, in retrospect but
1: yeah i mean it that's it's it's wonderful that you mentioned that because I, I i was just i had a thought i know i you, you did um um the Avengers. Have you done the Avengers podcast? Uh, we did Age
0: of Ultron. That's right. the one we've talked about so far. Okay, so but we're we're gonna talk. We're gonna hit some more of them. Be-
1: because like one of, I mean, I I do enjoy those movies, but uh, it's sort of you get this. At least I did, and hopefully this does make me a bad person. Like when we're talking of Thanos, um, like
0: oh he comes up a lot. Yeah, he's like, a great character.
1: You're 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 inclined to think that he's a bad guy, and, and you yeah. know I I would, but
0: he definitely is a bad guy. I mean yeah. like. He's not a good guy,
1: but you under like you understand his anger, and his rage. At least you're, you you might not agree with it.
0: Yeah, you understand you under- his spoken motivation for what he's trying to do. Exactly, like, he's trying to commit an atrocity, and you know it. But you understand why, and it's an it's a, a reasonable conclusion or a reasonable action to take. Yeah. Like it's not it's not, he's not he's not a the Joker.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, so it it reminds me of a lot of, of of sort of a lot of the characters in this book um, yeah. which is which is why um, it's it's very difficult to label you know the antagonist and the protagonist you definitely have people that set in motion events that are devastating um, but you also But they
0: all make highly ethically questionable decisions they
1: all they all do and for every you know one bad decision that they make they make another you know good good decision to balance it out. I mean, the excellent example uh, of that, I mean, e- even even at a lesser level, you know, s- like a, a relatively, you know, minor character like Mike Evans, y- you get what he's... Yeah, I mean, the book starts off and they're destroying forests. Like, you get why he is so pissed off at, at mankind and you understand why uh win is so pissed off at mankind. And even her, somebody that has every every right to be as angry as she is. Uh, I would argue, and we could talk more about this another time. uh, She's the one that like, when I say that this book is balanced, like there is no, like it's not overly good and it's not overly bad. There isn't like the ending, you know, everybody like rides off into the beautiful horizon uh, is because of her. She gives, she provides the answer how I mean uh, at at the end she she provides the answer as to how to sort of stem this tide
0: right Um, is she the one who gives the hint about the she is uh, for for Dark Forest yep she okay see I thought so right and that's part of part of her what's the word it's part of her like you said it's her way of redeeming that decision she made and uh and limiting the damage that it is inevitably going to cause on humanity
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she provides, she provides the answer, you know, and, um, and that's sort of where you, you know, you walk away going like, man, if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have this (laughs) issue, but if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have solved it either. So,
0: right. Well, maybe we wouldn't have become a intergalactic species or whatever, you know, like, yeah. who knows and and maybe that needs to happen maybe that's one of those great trials in the history of hum, of humanity of the and and I say this not just on the on the in the context of this story but it's a very real question like maybe it is a necessary step in the endurance of humanity as a as a race in order uh it, it may be a necessary step to become an interplanetary species it seems likely that 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 will become a necessity at some point just for the sake of redundancy, you know, to, to not keep all of our eggs in one planetary basket in some sense. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, and, uh, this leads really to, I I guess, one of my final points about this is, um, so you have division, um, and, and oftentimes it's, it's in order to unify, it, it takes a conflict, um, that is detrimental to all. Um,
0: yeah. A conflict right. grand enough, grand enough to, enough to, to overshadow the, everything else.
1: It all, like overshadow all the pettiness in a lot of way, a lot of ways. And typically that's war, you know, war has historically, you know, sort of united, um, against like a common enemy, a common foe. And nowadays, um, you know, we see such division and, uh, you know, I know this, you know, this, uh, if there is war, there is no recovery. We will destroy ourselves. Like in terms of an existential risk, uh, you know.
0: You mean like a like if there's an all-out sort of general, general war, yeah. like World War One or Two, right? Okay, we're, we're done. We're we're far too capable of wiping ourselves out at this point.
1: Exactly. And so, what I, what I'm getting at here is that um, why not look to the stars? You know, why not why not unify, uh, put our minds together, and 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 push out. Instead of constantly playing this game of risk on Earth, I'm not saying we should go play a game of risk in space. I'm saying that, you know, let's 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 innovate. You know, I think I think oftentimes we get bored as a culture, as cultures, and so we start to, you know, like there's a lot of infighting, um, and, and there's a lot of petty <laughs> our lives
0: are too comfortable. Yeah, exactly. So we have to find something to complicate it so that we have something you to do, live for. Exactly,
1: and so that innovation, that reaching out um, you know, to, 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 you know, beyond, beyond, you know, the earth level, if you will, um, is, is, is within our grasp. I mean, we've, we've done it already, you know, we've, we've landed on the moon. Um, but we should, we should have, we should have established far more uh, than that. Um, I believe at least, and I think that's, what's wonderful about this novel is it's a science fiction novel, but it's not so far fetched as to say like, none of this is possible.
0: Yeah, let's hope it's something like uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, where it just prompts uh, a, a generation of adventurers and, and people willing to pursue the fundamental sciences and pursue discovery uh, unto, unto maybe just that, maybe getting out into the stars in the future, in the, in the, maybe in the nearer future. Yeah.
1: yeah, I agree. It's
0: certainly a worthy goal, I think, for the progress of humanity.
1: I, I agree I agree and so I guess
0: that leaves the moral question though is uh, <laughs> uh, what makes us think that we deserve to have a bigger slice of the universal pie than we do you know if we've been such great stewards of the earth what makes us think we'll do any better out in other worlds and oh, I suppose uh, that's 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 where one can you know turn back to the nihilistic idea of humans being fundamentally good or fundamentally bad you know are we are we changing things around us for the better as a whole or are we um destroying them and and the the jury's out in my mind
1: oh yeah i think it always will be i think it's i think i mean entropy is inevitable
0: right Uh, entropy is inevitable so things will deteriorate regardless of whether or not we're involved
1: yeah and so we can we can go and start somewhere new if we wish to but we're still going to fall into you know, I mean, we've been repeating history for as long as, you know, we've been recording it, you know, we, we, we could easily say, Hey, you know, like, Hey, remember that one time, uh, when, you know, there was division and strife and we ended up, you know, destroying each other and then it's like, <laughs> oh, ah, no, this time it's different. I mean, there's still a division and the strife, but we're not going to destroy each other over it because it's different. And you know, like, ah, history doesn't say that <laughs> it's going to end up differently. But, uh... no
0: although you know on the whole we've done a pretty good job i mean there's there's less poor people there's less starvation there's you know more babies surviving there's better health outcomes there's there's a lot of hope in 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 the the improvements that we've made on on living but you know can we continue can we continue to uh, improve things on the whole all the way around or will we fall fall victim to our ideologies
1: yeah no that's and, that's an excellent point, and and you know that's sort of the op- optimism that we that we need. But uh, just to sort of be the uh, you know the antagonist here for a sec, you know, for, for every you know person that we pull out of poverty, uh, you know, we we elevate you know another to wealth beyond measure. Um, and so it all then becomes a matter. You mean
0: for every 10 million people we pull out of poverty, yeah. we yeah. elevate someone to wealth beyond measure, which, hey, yeah. is that such a bad thing? I don't know. I like I mean, yeah. I'm I'm glad someone could afford a ten thousand dollar flat screen TV before they became two hundred dollar flat screen TVs, because if they couldn't afford it, then they would have never gotten down to the rest of us. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: I mean, I, I like to view things as more of it's like an accordion effect. Right and and right now, unfortunately, at least I believe that in terms of like the average perspective, um, that that cordian is stretched pretty pretty lengthily right now in terms of you know
0: yeah just, yeah we're 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 due for some some feedback some yeah, uh, exactly. some social retribution perhaps yeah. yeah yeah so yeah well I suppose we'll <laughs> we'll all wait and see and participate in that as it comes.
1: Yeah, but maybe, you know, again, again, maybe things, and and it is likely aren't as bad as we think they are, because normally those on the fringes yell, they yell the loudest. And so you're you're entitled to, well, not entitled, but you hear them more. And what they have to say is, is negative. Um, And so I think there's a lot of people living in the in-between that just want to go on with their merry lives and, you know, you know, tackle life, um, you know, at their, at their own level, within their own sort of you know paradigm, and they don't. And really, maybe,
0: uh, maybe that method, maybe Dasher's method is uh, is the one to take.
1: Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Who knows what the answer is? Hence, the three body problem.
0: Right. And if the an- if nothing else, the answer is to endure. Yeah,
1: exactly. The answer is to endure to, to move forward. Yeah. All right. Well.
0: Well, man, it's been a pleasure talking with you. We've kind of gone a little bit long here, but uh, hopefully. Folks will find it interesting and uh, read this book. It's a good one, Three Body Problem.
1: It is. All right. Thank you what for having you get,
0: me. What's the author's name?
1: Um, so the uh, the actual well, the author is Liu Cixin, um, but the translator uh, is uh, Ken Liu.
0: And it's available on Audible and wherever books wherever books are sold.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Audible is is. Uh, really, really good. So I I advise that you listen to it in your car, you know, whenever you have some downtime, why not?
0: Definitely. Well, thanks again, Alec. Appreciate you joining me. This is Truth in Fiction. And uh, thanks for joining us. Hopefully we will catch you guys next time.